So in the Episcopal Church, we like to dress up folk who come up front, usually, and especially our priests. So we deck our priests out in these fancy, if a bit unusual, clothes, um, and they all have funky names like Alb and Cincher and Cassock and whatnot. Justin's wearing even more because he'll be presiding at the table today. And we like to put our priests uh, on a literal pedestal often, a couple feet two or three feet higher than the rest of the congregation. And then we give them a literal soapbox to stand on, if they wish, although I'm not going to today, and a microphone, and then we just let them run loose for five, ten, God willing, not as many as 15, 20 minutes. And so I think you can see why we could, if we're not careful, get kind of an inflated sense of ourselves, and why you might be forgiven for making the mistake of thinking that we're a little more important than we are. Seems weird for me to be the guy in the mic in the funky clothes and up higher telling you today that I'm not all that important. But I think Paul will back me up on this. So let's cast our eyes to 1 Corinthians and see what he has to say. Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth And this is a little church. This is a church whose numbers, whose membership is measured in the dozens, not the hundreds, most probably. These were small house churches. They met in the homes of those who were wealthy enough to host a gathering. But as small as this church was, it has found just a creative number of ways to divide themselves and get all torn up over factions and taking sides. The one he's going to talk about today is leaders and leadership style, but it's only one of many. They're divided over economic class, social standing. How important are they out in the wider world of Corinth? Spiritual gifts. Oh, I've got the best spiritual gift. No, I do. Education level or uh, access to heavenly wisdom is another way they've divided themselves. And even they've divided themselves over worship style. Now, I'm sure we Episcopalians wouldn't know anything about being divided over worship style. Uh, was anyone around and remember the whole transition into the, the new prayer book, as we're still calling it, the 1979 prayer book? I see some heads nodding. Uh, some of y'all probably still have battle scars you can show over that transition. Uh, and we still, to this day, in almost every Episcopal church, divide ourselves, at least in terms of when we meet, over worship style. But today, Paul wants to talk, at least, uh, sorry, at the beginning of his letter, the first thing he gets into He wants to talk about people being divided over church leaders. He says, It has been reported to me by Chloe's people, you know Chloe's people, they're always talking, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Quarreling. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, that is, Peter. Peter's nickname was Cephas. Or I belong to Christ. What they're getting into here is the church is kind of, kind of posturing to each other and sort of gathering into little cliques over who they identify as their leader, their favored leader, perhaps even which church leader baptized them or whose message do they subscribe to. You know, this is a funny thing that happens, I think, in all walks of life. Uh, in the academy, I'm a New Testament scholar, that's my other hat that I wear is is the flat miter board. Um, This happens all the time. If you meet other people in your field, 
So if you meet other New Testament scholars, you'll know within the first 30 seconds or so if they studied with uh, Hauerwas or um, they studied under uh, Schusler-Fiorenza or another one of those big names. Somehow it'll manage to make its way into the conversation. And, you know, to be fair, because I'm a human being too, they'll probably know within the same 30 seconds. Oh, I went to, well, I studied under Warren Carter. He of the dozens of books on empire in the New Testament. You kind of posture and position yourself. You drop those names so other people know uh, whose side you're on and that you're a big deal because of who you know or who you came up under. So Paul is concerned his church in Corinth, or Christ's church in Corinth, to be clear, is doing the same thing. I belong to Cephas. I belong to Paul. Who's your favorite evangelist or preacher? Or who baptized you? Whose camp are you in? Or to put it a little more colloquially, whose star have these people hitched their wagons to? Paul doesn't think this is a good idea. This is not healthy at all for the church of Christ to be doing this. He goes on then to say, and you can just hear his exasperation with them, is Christ divided? Or was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? And if these The answer to these is an obviously enough no. The Greek actually grammatically expects a negative answer. The Greek makes it clear, we know these are rhetorical questions, and the answer to each is no. Of course Christ is not divided. No one was baptized into the name of Paul. In English, we can signal this by saying, you weren't baptized into the name of Paul, were you? Or Christ, Paul, rather, Paul wasn't crucified for you, was he? Paul wants to put before the face of these Corinthians to hold before their eyes Christ, first and foremost, not Cephas, not Apollos, another one of these early Christian ministers who went around and told the good news and preached, not even himself, not even Paul. He says, if y'all are getting so concerned about who you've hitched your wagon to, you should remember, hitch your wagon to Christ. He's the one whose cross has saved you. Paul thinks this is such an important message, in fact, to get through, that he's willing to be a bit self-denigrating to make his point. And if anyone thinks Paul didn't have a a big ego, uh, like go back to the Bible and just pick a random paragraph, Paul thinks an awful lot about himself. But he's willing, he's willing to make this point, to be self-denigrating. So he is the first name he mentions when he asks these uh, ridiculous rhetorical questions. He says, Has Paul been crucified for you? He didn't ask, has Cephas been crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Apollos? He says, has Paul. And then he said, being further self-denigrating, I thank God I didn't baptize any more of you except Crispus and Gaius, saying, I'm glad I wasn't more directly and focally involved in raising you up, lest you get the wrong idea about how important I am or am not. And then he goes on, And it sounds a bit like he made a kind of a flub. He made a a misstep in his rhetoric. Oh, oh, oh yeah, okay. I also baptized Stephanus' household. That's right. I I think that's it. I think that maybe there was someone else, but I can't remember right now. Even this bit of uh, bumbling, babbling misstep and uh, memory lapse, it might be sincere. It might be Paul already, you know, the, the person writing down Paul's words already wrote the last line, and then it occurred to Paul that he baptized someone else. Or it might be part of the rhetoric of self-denigration and 
kind of making himself sound not all that eloquent and not all that great, so they don't get the wrong idea about how important Paul is or is not. He says, maybe bringing home the point about how he just made a mistake there, I came to preach the, the cross of Christ not with eloquent wisdom, but simply and straightforwardly, so that the cross might not be emptied of its power. The church in Corinth, this little church, picture some small Episcopal church you've known, whose membership is in the the low to mid-dozens, has managed to find all of these ways to divide themselves among each other. And the first one Paul wants to tackle, apparently the most burning concern on his mind, is the fact that they're divided over who is their favorite preacher, who is their favorite church minister. Paul reminds them, look, there are many leaders but there is one Christ whom they all proclaim. It has been a privilege to stand before you uh, in these funny clothes, uh, sometimes up on these these, uh, raised step and sometimes down here, and proclaim that one Christ to you in the past three and a half years. Alongside other ministers and evangelists of Christ, Janice and Justin, the question remains, however, Is Christ divided? Was Justin crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Andrew? I think even without the syntax of the Greek to make it clear, the answer is a resounding no. Christ is undivided. And that same Christ is proclaimed by all of his ministers in all all places. It has been a privilege to stand before you and proclaim that Christ, and I know he will continue to be proclaimed here by all of you. Let us rejoice in that unifying Christ who binds all of us together wherever we are gathered, wherever we are to proclaim his name. And let us consider ourselves sisters and brothers who belong to the same one, baptized into the same Lord, whose Christ has saved us, whose cross has saved us all. Amen. Please stand and join me in the Nicene Creed, found on page 8 of your bulletin. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again 